1: Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I am have the real pleasure of talking with Ravi Perry, who's the author of Black Mayors, White Majorities, The Balancing Act of Racial Politics. Ravi, how are you doing today? I'm great, Heath. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have read the book. Uh, before we get to it and all that you have to say in it, maybe you can just talk a little bit about yourself, uh, where, you're, where you are now, where you've been. Um, who are you? Well, uh,
0: I guess I'm a man of many uh, various
1: hats, uh, but for,
0: essentially, uh, for today's purpose, I'm a political scientist. Uh, I started out at the University of Michigan and uh, got my Ph.D. at Brown, and I was trained in American politics, public policy, and race and politics, and particularly in urban uh, race and local politics. And uh, I've I've been at two institutions. I started out at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, and then I transitioned where I am now at at, uh, Mississippi State University here in uh, Starkville, Mississippi.
1: Great. And I could say that the, the book's published by University of Nebraska Press and available at their website if anyone wants to go out after they listen to the podcast or if they want to stop now, go out and get the book and read it first because it is a really interesting read. And let's talk about the, the book. And, and before we actually talk uh, uh, about some of your findings, I'd like to start by talking a little bit about expectations. Um, you describe in the book the unique expectations imposed on black mayors. Uh, would you describe a bit uh, what the first generation of black mayors in the U.S. face? Uh, you mentioned Carl Stokes, Harold Washington, David Dinkins, and others. What what was the nature of the expectations on them, and, and were these expectations different than other mayors that uh, that are elected in, in these kinds of mid-sized cities that you described?
0: Uh, I think that's a great question, and the short answer is that their expectations were extraordinarily high, um, and all of them said so, particularly... Um, Uh, Maynard Jackson and um, uh, Nelson Maranto and uh, Nick Nelson, uh, who wrote the first major book on electing black mayors, indicated that as well uh, in their survey of the first black mayors elected in their late 60s, early 70s. Uh, And the reason for that is simple. Prior to uh, the ascendancy of African Americans to the mayorship in major cities throughout the United States, we did not have uh, an opportunity that most blacks viewed as viable to take control of the direction of the city in terms of public policy outputs that benefited people of color. Even though these black mayors were elected at the time in cities that, for the most part, were uh, a a plurality of diversity of diverse group uh, members, uh, some cases were still majority Caucasian uh, in their voting population, um, uh, they were able to successfully garner um, uh, a large significant proportion of, of course the African American vote, but also the white vote as well. But because of the timing in which they were elected, late sixties, early seventies, some even up to, say for example, Harold Washington in eighty three in Chicago, David Dinkins, uh ninety two in uh New York as well, you had uh even up to that uh era from the late sixties to early nineties, for the most part, uh, African American mayors being elected in what were uh, kind of the last bastion of majority white cities in the immediate post civil rights movement era. And because of that era in which they were elected, there were high expectations that had the, since the Prior uh, Caucasian mayors, uh, from many African American uh, residents' point of view, were non responsive to their interests. Uh, it, it was, of course, reasonable for many African Americans to have such a heightened sense of expectation for African American mayors uh, to adjust the attention uh, to increase the amount of community response and. Uh, to finally be able to feel as though they themselves are worthy of attention, of political resources from City Hall, and now that African American, someone with their same shared racial identity, occupies the mayor's seat.
1: Now, you have a particular focus, and that focus is in the title of the book Black Mayors, White Majorities. Why might we think that, that black mayors in white majority cities? would would face a different governing challenge than those black mayors in in black majority cities what's the what's the dynamic that you really are probing in in your book
0: well uh, the the dynamic that i'm i'm attempting to suggest there is that uh, it is difficult to govern um cities of, of multi uh ethnic and multi racial uh significant diversity and because all of those uh individual communities have have um an, a cross uh, pollination of resources and ideas and interests and needs that they need uh, to be attended to by the city. But for a large part, uh, they have a lot of, of divergent views as well on some um, key matters. And so, uh, one thing that um, that title attests to is theoretical. Uh, and that is the first thing is that a lot of the research. Um, prior to this text uh, in black politics, uh, particularly about black mayors, has been regarding African American mayors in majority African American cities. And of course, for me, it was a very simple question, Uh, the question of, well, of course we would expect black mayors of majority black cities to represent black interests because it's a simple numerical calculation. Uh, If they don't represent the interests of the majority of their constituents, then of course, then they're probably going to have a hard time staying in office or getting elected to begin with. But the question I had was, well, are not then African-Americans who happen to live in cities where they are still a substantive minority? Are they not also just as worthy of receiving um, the types of support and engagement with a mayor with whom they share their same racial identity, even in even though that they are a minority in that said city? And, and I make a normative argument that, yes, they should. Um, one, because uh, they're the constituents, too. Two, because of what we know about linked fate and the uh, notion of uh, shared racial experience uh, we know that uh, if you are a member of a said group that has a shared memory of oppression then you're more likely to understand what it's like to uh, uh, be a member of that group in the present day and so there's uh, theoretical reasons why uh, that title uh, was chosen Um the, the secondary reason why the title was chosen was also because uh, we do expect it to be difficult. Um, now that we are, this book focuses on really the 21st century, uh, the beginning of the 21st century, and two mayors in particular, although I do argue it's uh, generalizable to other mayors and similarly situated contexts throughout the country. Um, And and they are elected in different conditions than their uh, African-American mayor predecessors uh, in what we might call the first or second waves in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even early 90s. And so while the... Dynamics and the demographics might be the same. For example, African American mayors elected in majority white cities, just as many were in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The context of 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 those elections have changed, and and what by that we mean the voting population and the sophistication with which they determine who they want to be a rep, their representative uh, in the mayor's office um, has we has. Uh, as we know, has has changed significantly from what people were expecting of mayors generally in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and particularly of African-American mayors uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about your two mayors and your two cities, uh, two cities in Ohio, uh, two very different mayors, uh, one uh, uh, with a big personality and some very interesting uh, idiosyncrasies. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you chose these two cities and uh, the mayors that that came to to, uh, become elected in the 19... I guess we're talking about in the 2000s.
0: Yeah, that um, um, was an interesting choice. I was studying um, Ohio for two reasons. One, uh, on full disclosure, I'm from Ohio. Um, And so uh, when you're a graduate student, you are attempting uh... to gather research uh... as uh, expeditious and thorough as possible and i knew that i could get a lot of data because of my contacts in the state of ohio that otherwise is very difficult to get uh... so studying uh... medium-sized cities in general as a political scientist is a rare phenomenon most of us study major cities or uh, and frankly, you know, we don't study cities at all. Uh, most American uh, pop, um, political scientists uh, that study American politics, and, but those of us who do study cities, most of uh, uh, American political scientists that study cities study l- the large cities, and they study public opinion data, something like that. I was never interested in that. I mean, I was really interested, frankly, mainly uh, uh, as a scholar, in what do these politicians do after they get elected. I was less interested in campaigns and elections that I wasn't governing. And I do fundamentally still believe and argue that that is a quintessential political science question. In political science, the discipline has a, a lot of contributions they can make to that question. Um, and so that led me to Ohio. Um, and the reason was because I was witnessing the election of so many African-American mayors in basically every major city in Ohio, with the exception of Akron. Um, and all of these cities were majority white cities. And so the question was uh, just a, an interesting one for me, well, how in the world are these people getting elected? And then the subsequent question for me was, well, what are they then doing for their minority constituents in those cities? Um, and, and so I focused on Ohio because it, it is a interesting, um, Kind of anomaly in that nearly every major city elected an African American mayor in the 21st century. Uh, from Cleveland to Toledo to Columbus to Cincinnati to Dayton, uh, those are the main cities, and they all had African American mayors at one point. At one point, at the same time, um, and that's pretty unique for for an entire state, uh, particularly a state that has a large, of course. Uh, uh import when it comes to national and and presidential politics uh, and, and so I was interested in ohio uh for that reason uh and and secondarily because of the uh dearth of research uh particularly recently as it relates to People who happen to live in cities with a population of less than 500,000. Uh, as I was saying, that most of our research about uh, people in those cities and the uh, legislative and executive kind of makeup of those cities uh, has been uh, very, very limited, and and we know very little about people who live in medium-sized cities, despite the fact that according to the United Nations uh data we in fact uh have more people who live in cities of that size not only in the United States but worldwide than people who live in larger
1: cities right and and so tell us about uh mayor ford and mayor maclin uh what makes them unique uh how did they get elected <laughs> briefly briefly so
0: mayor ford uh was uh originally a, uh, a city councilman from the city of, of Toledo, uh, born and raised in Springfield, which is actually in the Dayton uh, metropolitan region, and he went up to Toledo for law school, uh, became active in the Toledo community, ran for city council, won, became city council president, then resigned and became the, the state representative for a largely black district, and then rose up to the ranks in the 90s uh, at the state house in Columbus and became the minority leader, was term-limited out, and came Came back to Toledo and ran for mayor and won in 2001, um, and he he won at a time in in which the local uh, county Democratic Party was uh, in full support behind him, and uh, they encouraged him to run, and he had uh, all of the resources and support to do so. Um, and uh, he was successful uh, in, in generating the coalition necessary to have a successful uh, election and particularly the immediate first few months of his uh, governing. Ryan McGlynn, uh also came from the uh, um, State House in uh, Columbus. Uh, she had been a uh, state senator. In of um, the state house, the first African American woman uh, in that position as a state senator uh, in Ohio, and uh, she originally started out as a uh, state rep, filling uh, the seat of her uh, longtime um, uh, father, uh, who was a longtime state rep for uh, the largely minority community in Dayton. Uh, after his passing, she uh, took over his seat, and then after she was terminated out of that, uh, ran for state senate, won. Uh, And that was a much more diverse district. Um, And as a result, I think she learned that she had a crossover appeal, as we might call it as political scientists. uh, But she was term limited out of uh, um, that seat and decided to run for mayor uh, in the same time that uh, Jack Ford did in Toledo. And she ran against a Republican opponent and and won by a thin margin, but uh, her broad coalition particularly strong support of the african american community, given her family's uh, uh long um standing uh, support of the african american community in the Dayton community, she won uh, fairly handily um as a result of the african american support that she had there
1: so use a couple of uh, of terms to kind of set up how you um analyze uh, these two mayors. Um, use the terms targeted universalism and the human, rela- human relations approach. I wonder if you could talk about these two terms and how they help us understand the way uh, mayors uh, Ford and McClend, uh govern during their uh, uh, Ford's one year one term in office and McLean's two terms in office.
0: Uh, Yes, I'd be happy to. So uh, this book is essentially a uh, re-examination of the deracialization theory, the idea that in order to get elected as a person of color uh, in a diverse uh, political jurisdiction, uh, that you need to de-emphasize the significance of race. This is what uh, theorists argue was necessary in the 70s, 80s, and 90s for African-American mayors. Uh, the gubernatorial candidate successfully uh, in Douglas Wilder in Virginia in '89, and a whole host of other related races at the national level in Congress, so on and so forth. Um, and, and the argument was this: that if, 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 if African Americans in particular talked too explicitly about race, that they were not going to get elected, and therefore we'd never get to analyze any governing efforts. Well, I argued that um, the, the utility of, of, of utilizing that bifurcation—either you're racialized or deracialized has been exhausted um as a result of looking at mayors like Ford and McGlynn, who are who are not running away from race but also aren't explicitly advocating it either um and and I was uh, eager to find a theory or develop a theory that would help me understand that and so I developed a typology that helped us um understand exactly what it means to represent black interests in uh, the urban setting which also had not been done. Uh, We really have no idea what black interests are at the local level and I try my best to uh, define that and to frame that in the typology thereof to suggest that should these mayors Um, on a a Likert scale, one to five, uh, support certain initiatives uh, that might be more symbolic, all the way to those that are more substantive uh, that have a targeted impact on the black community that uh, they would then be put in the appropriate categorization thereof. And that led to the theory of targeted universalism, which is borrowed uh, from uh, the legal uh, field uh, and legal scholarship, primarily that of John A. Powell, um, who's now at Berkeley, used to be at Ohio State, and, and the idea that he has argued uh, um, uh, in the legal context in terms of how it is we can uh, effectively represent the interests of everyone while also tending to the needs of the particular of the targeted groups, of marginalized, the disillusioned uh, populations, those that are perhaps disenfranchised as well. Um, and well, I was very attracted to that theory, and I decided to apply it to the uh, local mayoral governing context, and using these two mayors as my case studies. And and essentially, it worked. And and what we were able to to show is that yes, it actually is possible to talk about race, uh, make it a public policy priority, um, and to convince whites that what's in the interest of uh, African-Americans and, and these two mayors' cases is also in the interest of them as well, and that any attention the mayor might give. Uh, to uh, the needs of the less fortunate um, is is not somehow given at the expense of the needs of the majority population, and, and that is a, uh, a departure from where where the theory suggested was possible for elected officials to do
1: um, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Yeah, and it's, I think it's a really compelling theory, and you have a very interesting case study method in order to um to to explain how this this theory actually works uh... without going too much into the exact findings I wonder where do we go from here Um, what might mayors running for office do with your findings be they black candidates in white majority uh... uh... cities or or otherwise how do we take from this this your your academic book and try to make sense of it in the the practical politics of, of governing. Uh, uh, black mayors have increased in, in their success in, in winning elections. Um, are there recommendations that come out of this book that you would say these are, these are um, ways in which to govern that, um, that uh, the findings of the book support or refute?
0: Well, one recommendation I would offer is that um, should a candidate be attempted uh, to uh, run a deracialized campaign? Uh, Uh, Because they believe it's necessary in order to uh, appeal to what we call crossover voters, to mainly whites, Um, uh, what we find is that there's significant backlash actually in the black community or the Latino community, whatever the subgroup population might be, um, in that they... Uh, feel as though then you are detaching yourself from that community. And so while you might gain white voters, you actually might lose the minority support that you are essentially banking on um, by being deracialized because voters in totality now are more sophisticated and they're not just electing a black person or Latino um, simply because of their shared racial identity anymore, and, and that they're, they're choosing for them what is the quote unquote perhaps um, best candidate, and 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 that means that those who choose the deracialization kind of premise as their model for how to run a campaign in an effort to seek white votes, um, might actually lose significant support in the minority community. Um, and, and, and we've seen examples where that has actually led to failure uh, in their election bids, not to the success that they predicted. Um, not because of minorities are expecting racially explicit language to be part of the public policy pronouncements given by mayoral candidates um, but but that they are expecting at least to feel recognized and to feel heard and and the due racialization premise doesn't allow them to do so That's one recommendation i would make and and, and the positive recommendation i would make um, would be that it is possible to talk about the issues affecting uh, particular uh, racial and ethnic groups, uh, predominantly so, disproportionately so, in your said community, um, and do so in a way that does not make whites feel threatened. Um, and and what you can learn from are from some of the uh, rhetorical kind of... Um, suaging, uh, suasion, so to speak, or what we might call the moral suasion that uh, these mayors uh, implemented in order to uh, uh, convince a large, a sizable portion of the majority community that what's uh, in the interest of people of color is in the interest of mm-hmm. them as well. And the result being that uh, if y- you can, in fact, universalize the interest of blacks, in this case, um Uh, in a way that makes those interests matter to all constituents, Um, and uh, that largely occurs through rhetoric and uh, strategic framing of one's public policy pronouncements to ensure that it has a targeted benefit benefit to those who need it, uh, but also uh, makes uh, whites and others feel included uh, in in the process uh, in lifting the city up um, in, in its entirety.
1: Yeah, this is a very timely and and just very interesting book, I think, for, of course, for political science scholars, but uh, public administrator, public administration scholars, I think, could learn a lot. Um, There's just a number of uh, really interesting contributions that you've made here. Um, uh, Robbie's book, Black Mayors, White Majorities, The Balancing Act of Racial Politics, was published in 2013 by University of Nebraska Press. Uh, It's available at their website to buy. Robbie, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Heath.